What's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. Today, we're on day 17, and we're going to cover Genesis 48 through 50. Detective Mills, you ready to get to it? Yes, sir. All right, man, let's look at the text. One thing that I really want to point out here in chapter 48, it's Israel's last days, and so now he's about to bless his sons. And I think this is really good to see and we won't be able to tackle his blessing to every last one of his children. But let's highlight some important ones that will help us in our trajectory of reading the scripture. First, we need to look at verse 4. It says that God said to him, the God Almighty said to him, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. The Abrahamic covenant, bro, is brought back up. And God's people hold to it, and they really take God at his word and believe him. Even though Israel said his days were short and evil, he knew he was a blessed man, and he knew that God would be faithful to accomplish his word, just like he was for his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. And so he takes that into his blessings here in 48. Israel asked for Joseph's sons. In verse 8, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here. Mm -hmm. He said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Look at this. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Who does that remind you of? His daddy, (laughs) the pappy. (laughs) And it's the same. And so this is the same experience that he was in when he was a child And him and his mother, Rebecca, were scheming. And look at what happens here. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took him from his knees and he bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right. And so Quite naturally, Joseph was setting them up, the older and the younger, for Israel to bless them based on custom and their birth order. But look at what happened. Verse 14, but Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and the left hand on Manasseh, crossing his hands. And this is the blessing that he gives. He says, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads and may my name live on in them and the names of my father, Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And so you see the Abrahamic covenant here. Israel called God his shepherd. And that's beautiful because he's giving credence to the fact that God has led him, God has walked with him. No matter how hard his days have been, God has been his shepherd and he's been with him. That's some good theology right there. And may that get in our bones, bro. Amen. But look at what Joseph tries to do in verse 18. Joseph said to his father, no, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he will also be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. In verse 20, he blessed them that day, saying, 
by you, Israel, will pronounce blessing, saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And so Joseph gets a double portion, we see in verse 22. I will give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. And this is how we start to understand the 12 tribes. So initially, we had 12 brothers. And so now you have to replace Joseph with Ephraim and Manasseh. And so that's two more added, right? But you get one subtracted because you got Joseph out and you got his two sons in. And so that puts us as, at what? 13, mm -hmm. right? And so we need to subtract one more to get to the 12. And we'll see this just right in the next chapter with Levi. Mm -hmm. And Levi becomes the priesthood. And that puts us back at 12. Let's talk about how his hands are crossed and everything we desire in life, the order we think should be, God confuses that. And he did that even with Jacob. He didn't go in the order that man thought it should have been. God moves on his own timetable and his own sovereignty. The older shall serve the younger there, and it's happening again. The younger will be more blessed. But I think there is another insight here that helps us. Did you see what Israel did at the last minute? He crossed his hands. This tells us that this could have happened with him when he was scheming. He didn't have to do all of that scheming. Right there on his bed, Isaac's eyes were dim. And right there when he had his idolatry, he had Esau preparing all of this game. And he came in and he brought Jacob in. God in his sovereignty at the last minute could have crossed his hands. And Esau would have received the blessing he got and Jacob would have received the Abrahamic covenant and the seed would have been confirmed through him. This shows us, bro, that God is sovereign and this could have happened at the very last minute. And I think God is giving us a little clue here that he's in control. We don't need to do anything to try to help him out and aid him. We just need to obey and submit. Mm. You think I'm spot on with that or you think mm. I'm uh, getting out, out sideways and left field here? No, absolutely. And moving into chapter 49, this is a very important chapter, bro. You got to master this chapter, at least some of the things that we highlight here. He gathers them together in verse 2, then he hears Reuben. He says, you're my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity and in power, uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed and you defiled it. You went up to my couch. What is he saying there? Reuben tried to assert his dominance and tried to gain the preeminence there. And he tried to force his way to the kingship and force his way to receive the blessing. And that's not how you do it. We'll see that later. I think we talked about this already with Adonijah and Solomon. Adonijah tries to do this with Abishag, mm. and it doesn't work. And we see the blessing that Reuben gets here. Then you got Simeon and Levi, bro. Man. It says, you are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. Get this, I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see Simeon dispersed with another tribe, and you're going to see Levi not even having a land 
but scattered amongst all the lands, and it's going to form into the Levitical priesthood. Mm-hmm. And the other brothers, the other tribes will have to take care of him, which is they'll have to set a portion aside to feed them because they'll be responsible for the priesthood. Isn't that powerful, bro? Through their sin, God used sinners to bring about the priesthood. Man, talk to me about that. That's genius. Man, that's amazing. And Christ did the same thing when he came. It says that he came. One of my favorite portions of Scripture is whenever Jesus is in Mark chapter 2, and he says he's eaten with prostitutes and sinners. Yeah. And he says that, what does he say, the, the well have no need of a physician. That's it. Man. And that, you own to something there, bro, because it says that he took sinners and made us a royal priesthood. Now the veil has been torn, and we can enter the holies of holies, just like, not just the priests, like the high priest, and talk to God boldly. And he took you, a sinner, and made you have that type of access. He took me, and now we have that access. Man, that is beautiful. It's amazing. So they'll be scattered, but we got to mark verse 8, bro. It says, Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whip. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of his people. He ties his foe to the vine, and his donkey coat to a choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine and his teeth white from milk. And bro, we got to just spend a lot of time here. In fact, we, we can develop the other brothers as we walk through because it'll show how the other brothers develop out when we get into the land. And so we'll bring that back in. But let's just spend some time with Judah. One, it says that he'll be a lion. And so that's where we get lion of Judah, a designation for Jesus Christ. And so that's prophecy fulfilled when we see Christ. It also says that the scepter will not depart from him. So now we know the kingly line will come from Judah. So anytime you wonder how did Judah become king, we had him developing all through Genesis. We had him being rising in rank over Reuben just by how his leadership and how he took responsibility and how he said, I'll be a surety. We saw a king. Now it's official. The scepter will not depart from him. So kings come from the line of Judah. So we got to not only track the seed now, we got to track the seed more specifically through Judah Mm. because that's in the loins of Judah now. It's where our seed is where Christ will come from. And we know more specifically Perez, that son of Judah. And it says also that until Shiloh comes, and the word Shiloh in Hebrew means peace, Mm. that's significant because this is a prophecy showing that peace, which is synonymous for rest. Remember that theme that we talked about? We need somebody to bring us rest. And so that same word, Shiloh, is similar to rest. We want somebody to bring us peace. And so we're looking for Shiloh. Guess how we'll find Shiloh? Does the name sound familiar to Shiloh? Shlomo? Mm. Hebrew for Solomon, which name means peace. And so now we're developing more where maybe Solomon is our our king. But 
he'll prove himself unfaithful pretty quickly for us. But Solomon gives a guy who's called the Prince of Peace, and the government rests on his shoulders, and it develops it further to Jesus Christ. And we learn all of that from here. And then we get some more strong language about a donkey's coat and a choice vine. And what does Jesus ride on Man. a triumphal entry? Fire. Man, look at this. And it says that he washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. It's just so much here. You'll see the theme of vine picking up where Jesus says, I am the what? Vine. You are the branches. So vines are going to become very important to Israel. Vines and vineyards, you'll see this coming up more and more. In fact, many people in Israel will cultivate vines. You'll even have a name brand vine called a Soric vine. We'll talk about that in Isaiah. But mark the theme of vines, mark the theme of donkey, mark the, all of these things. They'll continue to be built out through scripture. And that's biblical theology that we're establishing there. But this Man, if you don't memorize verses 8 through 12, you got to be at least very familiar with them because Genesis preaches the gospel to us come. So we need to look for the Prince of Peace, and we need to look for a king that will flow from Judah. Isn't that good, bro? No, absolutely. It wraps up in verse 28. It says, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and it was their father, and it was what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, everyone with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he charged them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite. It says in verse 33, when Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last breath and was gathered to his people. Jacob dies. And the death of Israel is here even more in chapter 50. And we got to grab this, what I call the purpose statement of Genesis. And so let's read that. And it says in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? What is his brother saying, bro? Maybe Joseph did this until... <laughs> Our father died. Now he's going to take his mask off and get full retribution. They're nervous. No, They're absolutely. scared. But one thing they need to know is that God develops his man. Nothing is keeping him or stalling evil from coming out of him. God has refined Joseph, and they're about to see that. Joseph makes one of the greatest statements of Genesis, even in their fear. And so look at what it says here. I'm reading verse 16. So they sent the message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died, saying thus, you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you. Now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your fathers. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. Listen to this, bro. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant mm. it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. 
so he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. He's our God, man. Like he he tells them the whole storyline of Genesis. So we learned a few things from Genesis. We learn one, we get our gospel statement. You gotta memorize Genesis three fifteen. It it gives the storyline of the whole Bible. That's the first gospel. We learn that. We also learn about faith. That Abraham is the father of faith, and this is this will be the constitution of Israel. They have to be a people of faith, and you'll see that. You saw that develop even in Israel. He said, my years have been short and evil, but I'm a man of faith. I know God was my shepherd, and he's, he was with me. And then you see here, now we know that we have a God that does what? Turns evil to good. And so we have to get those things from Genesis because evil is running rampant in the earth. And that's a question that everybody has a problem with, like the problem of evil. Theodicy is what it's called. Mm -hmm. If God is good, why doesn't he solve the problem with evil? And you have it here. God will get rid of evil for once and for all. But right now, in this present time, and for all of history, guess what God has been doing? Something special. He's been turning evil to good. And he's been bringing about his redemptive plan up until the point of Jesus Christ. And even up until today. And we can see God's hand through it all. Talk to me about that, Dustin. Yeah, no, I think it's just beautiful how God's always been working towards a goal. And that goal is to save men. Everything that he's done so far in Genesis was to bring about one day his son come on this earth and be able to give salvation to men, new hearts. And I just think that's beautiful. We can see the the development of characters in here, like you were talking about. Joseph, he developed. I wonder if he would have been the same way if they would have ran up on him when he was the younger Joseph. It would have nice, probably good. been a little bit different. Yeah. But God developed him. We see that you had mentioned Jacob and even the, the sons, the 12, they're developed and they're different. They're coming at Joseph because part of it's because Joseph has the power. But I think that they would even be like that if Joseph didn't have the power. I think that they would still be repentant no, towards I agree, him. Because they're fully developed. Right. And you bring up a magnificent point. It's timing that develops. And that's why we don't need to jump out of that crucible too early. Mm. When we start experiencing pain in life, what do we want to do? We want to get out. And the world, a, a yes and amen is, go and get out for your happiness. You, you need to be happy. Nobody would go through that. Who's counseling you to go through that? Your pastor? You need to get another church. Like, we always are going to hear that. And we don't, that's not the story of Scripture. The story of Scripture is not happiness. The story of Scripture is godliness. Mm. And we will be happy at times, but we will be sad at times. But at the end of the day, let's conform to the character of Jesus Christ, and let's be developed. I heard it put this way, that with boiling water, the same water that hardens the egg softens the potato. Mm. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Amen. This is the God we serve, and you can't predict what he's going to do based on your circumstances, which is why we trust him and we let him develop us. And may we all be like Joseph at the end of our lives. May we all be like Judah. May we all be like Israel. May we all be like Isaac and Abraham. May that be our lot. When we look at verse 24, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will surely take care of you and bring you up out 
from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. And so Joseph dies. He dies recounting the Abrahamic covenant. He knows God will be faithful, even to the point he puts his faith where his mouth is. He say, look, I know God will get us back to the land. In fact, don't leave my bones here. This was I was a deliverer here in Egypt, but this is not my home. My home is in Canaan. My home is in the promised land. So get me back to the, the land. Get my bones back to the land. Let's look to see if they execute on this. But we're wrapping up Genesis and it's beautiful. We have all of our prophecies in place. We have Joseph saying, get my bones back, but we got a problem. What's the problem? He's dead and he's in Egypt. And now we got to yeah. get them back to the land. And guess what that does? Hey, that pushes us to exit.